Welcome to the Words Matter Podcast, a podcast of First Baptist Church Seminole. All right, and welcome back for another week of Words Matter Podcast, a podcast here at FBC Seminole. As always, I am your host, Josh Pollock, and I'm so glad to be with you today. Uh, in the room with me today, I've got... Nick Ataya. We've got Nick sitting with to my, my right, Pastor Nick, and across from Nick to my left... G-Dog. G-Dog. Sheepdog. Sheepdog. Garrett. <laughs> We're glad glad to be back in the room with these guys this week. We are... We are all feeling it. Nick's looking rough. Nick is he's he's walking like a guy who's tired. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I always enjoy doing these, but uh, today is June 29th, 29th, and I've preached 23 times this month. Um, and I love preaching. I'm not complaining, but I am tired. You just <laughs> literally just blew in from Cross Timbers yeah. like an hour or so ago. Yeah, um, I am still in my full recovery mode from Super Summer. Um, that is a, a level of exhaustion that's so different than anything it else is, you can unique. do. Yeah. Um, but it was such a great week, and so we're all here together. We all none of us sound quite like ourselves because we're all sleep deprived. Garrett had a pretty busy week last week. He he shared, and then he got to preach Sunday morning, and that brings its own kind of tiredness. Um, <laughs> I don't get to do it as often as you guys. So. If we seem out of morning. our mind, it's because yes, we love Jesus. Exactly, we can't <laughs> help it. Uh, but yeah, Garrett did. Garrett did a great job Sunday morning. Um, Seemed very comfortable in the pulpit and, and exegete. I don't know. What's the, I listened. It what's was the, great. What's the past yeah. tense of, of, of ex- exegete? Exegete. So he exegeted. He exegesist. Exegesist. He did the well with the scripture well. that he had um, on Sunday morning. And uh, so, Garrett, publicly, I'd like to acknowledge that you did a good job. Thank it you. It was good to sit underneath you. I know you say you don't get the opportunity to do that very often, but you did it very well. So let's jump here to our, our question this morning. Let's jump into, I've got the question this week, our kind of get-to-know-you opening question. So at Super Summer last week, I got to work with a, a gentleman named Keno King, who is a fantastic leader and does great with our students. And we poured all week into our school into those going into their senior year. And Keno really pushed on these students and said that if you're a kingdom builder, if you're a kingdom leader, you should be doing three things in your youth ministry. You should be present at all times. So you need to be at every event that, that they do. You need to participate in everything that they do. You need to be the ones that are up front volunteering, helping out. And number three is you need to leave a shadow. And the idea that if you wait till your senior year to hand things off, then you've waited too long. That your senior year is not about you. It's about your youth ministry. It's about your church. Um, and it's the things that we... Uh, that we need to do to prep them to get ready to leave going into their senior year to be able to hand things off. So leaders leave a shadow. So it got me thinking over the people in my life who have had a shadow and influence on, on who I am today in ministry and in life and different people like that. So my question this morning, and I'll answer it first to give you guys just a little bit of time to think about it. Um, who has left a shadow over you? Who is somebody in your life who has left a shadow um, as a leader that you kind of have seen? Um, for me, I go back to Brent Hazelrig, um, was my very first youth pastor here uh, at FBC Seminole for many years. Um, and I saw the leader I wanted to be in Brent, this infectious um, guy that everybody wanted to be around, uh, was was a big influence on me. And, and even now, seeing him still serve in ministry shows that there's longevity in youth ministry. And I, it's not a stepping stone. It's not like you do this until you become a real pastor, that you can do this. Uh, as long as God will use you. And so Brent Hazelrig for me cast a shadow um, when I was when I was a seventh and eighth grader and then spent my summers here with Brent going to Falls Creek and always made me feel like I was part of the youth ministry even when I wasn't here the other month. So that was Brent for me who cast a shadow. So who's somebody for you guys that cast a shadow? 
I, so there's a there are quite a few, and I, I feel like I'm going to cheat if I just pick one. So I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. just pick one. Two that I'll say is uh, my dad and my father-in-law, um, long hundred years worth of pastoring between the two of them. Um, but the one person that I would say was most influential was uh, a teacher that I had when I went to boarding school. His name was Doug Hogan, um, and he he came out of a life of um, he, I mean, he he wasn't a believer and he lived to to its fullest. Um, he he dabbled into just about everything there was to dabble, and his conversion um, saw a I mean an absolute one eighty. He he went from completely sold out to living life to its fullest and enjoying it and everything debauch, and he turned to completely sold out to Jesus and um, he he called me out in sin when I was in high school when other people believed my lies he called me out and said nope and really made me mad but in the long run I was glad about that but he he studied scripture in a way I'd never seen before too he, he I mean he loved it and uh, and he wanted you to love it and so I, I learned a lot from him and I, I think back to even in when I'm we're working in celebrate recovery and I think often of his story and he tell him telling us his story of conversion and and kind of planted a seed he didn't have a clue planted a seed you know 25 years ago in my life for that so huge influence and I got to see him he he passed away not too long ago he had a, a heart attack at fairly young age um, and died and um, got I got the opportunity to see him and tell him that I hadn't really told him that um, after I graduated high school, so that was that was good. Doug's the guy. That's good. So for me, I'm gonna do something a little different with this because um, I, I feel like this is an opportunity to show that people who cast shadows do not always have to be somebody who is older than us. Um, like Garrett, I fear that if I start naming people, I'll mm-hmm. leave somebody out. There are a lot of people who've left shadows, both spiritual and non-spiritual, in my life. But I, I think that uh, not to just simply default to somebody who is older than me. There is a when I was 22, I was youth minister at Alameda Baptist Church in Norman, and at that time, a 14-year-old um, young man and his brother started had just started attending church and had just been saved and just been baptized so he was seven eight years younger than me and his name was Kyle Guyman and Kyle Guyman was one of those young men who when he received the gospel he immediately met no stranger and anybody he could share the gospel with he was going to share the gospel with and he was this way he's still this way today, uh, very gospel-centered, builds relationships with people, shares the gospel, meets new people, shares the gospel, strangers, shares the gospel, very proactive in sharing his faith. And as a student in my youth group, he always cast a shadow over me that encouraged me to be a stronger leader when it came to evangelistic efforts. And so he was significantly younger than me, but he's always left an impression in my life about those who truly come to Jesus and love Jesus at every opportunity they'd tell people about Jesus. Mm. So I would say Kyle Guyman. Yeah. 
I always I always say there's something different about students when they when they come to Christ in, in high school. Those are become your best inviters. You know, they they want to tell everybody their story. They want to make sure that everybody they know versus somebody not in every case, but students who have been around church their whole life aren't as excited about it as somebody who has just kind of got it and, and gets that excitement. So that's that's good. I, I appreciate those answers very much. So let's jump in to our first question. Um, what happened last week? We've we've had two weeks since our last podcast. We've had two different sermons preached. We've had a lot of camp stuff, so we'll cover all of that. So let's look back at our sermons um, from two weeks ago. So what happened last week? Um, we had a sermon from... Nick preached two weeks ago. I'm trying to get to my notes. Mm-hmm. I have so much stuff mm-hmm. from First Super Timothy's Summer on Six, contentment. Three through ten. Yeah, on the so that that sermon was uh, the week that Rob was supposed to preach. It was Father's Day. Yes, and uh, our brother <laughs> the Rob. Last podcast, you had to leave in the middle of it to take a phone call from Stephanie. That's right. To get an update on Rob. To get an update on uh, Rob's surgery. Yep. Rob had quadruple bypass surgery, was unable, although he still should have preached, um, <laughs> unable to yeah. preach on June 20th, Father's Air Day. Air quote, unable. Yeah, unable. Um, uh, if anybody listening is curious, he is doing really, really well. He uh, says he feels as good as he's felt in a long time, so that's good. Praise the Lord. So went went in and just uh, picked up where left off and uh, preached out of, First uh, Timothy chapter six on contentment and what is authentic and true contentment and godliness and uh, probably an an understatement in the Christian faith is maybe not talking enough in our churches and our you know spiritual circles about being content. We kind of talk over it a lot. We talk about blessings a lot, how God's blessed us here and blessed us there. But a lot of times we don't get down to the uh, the foundation of the issue of godliness and contentment and, and recognize that those who have experienced some of the greatest suffering and have, by the world's standards, had the least but have had Christ, uh, have demonstrated the greatest... Um, posture and reflection of what godliness really is and we try to measure god's favor on us by some of the same measuring sticks the world uses to measure the world's favor on things and i think that as the as the apostle paul writes to timothy it's a charge to timothy it's an encouragement to timothy to set an example but to remind timothy to set the example of where true godliness and uh, true gain really comes from, and that's being content with whatever little you have. If you have Jesus, if you have godliness, that is the greatest gain you can have. Stop measuring your life in the way that the world measures. Stop measuring the church in the way the world measures the church, and start measuring the way that Scripture teaches us to measure godliness. So, so I, went, I went here that Sunday. I was at Super Summer, and that was kind of our theme that the exec staff ran with in, in planning for Super Summer, this idea that 
Jesus plus nothing is still everything. Mm -hmm. And so to be content in what Christ has given us and the fact that we were able to meet for the first time in two years. So it wasn't about the the glitz and glam that that camp sometimes can have, nothing wrong with that. Right. But that this year we needed to be content in the fact that we were able to gather, we were able to praise together and to be trained with one another. But there's that idea that Jesus plus nothing is still everything, yeah. that there's nothing we can add to that. And the Apostle Paul throughout First Timothy, it's he, he's... Paul is speaking to the antithesis of what the the issue is. I mean, so in false teachers, he says, teach right doctrine. And those false teachers have a uh, tendency to teach false doctrine for their own personal material gain. And so the Apostle Paul says, well, guess what? The antithesis of that is the true leader, the true spiritual leader, the true godly man recognizes that there's no material gain you should seek in godliness, um, that your gain is actually um, the opposite of what the false teachers are looking for. Mm-hmm. So when you see these false teachers and they're they're all puffed up on material gain, and we see that as God's way of blessing people for being faithful, the Apostle Paul says, hey, <laughs> they might be false teachers, so mm-hmm. there's actually no gain there. It's just all a facade. It's all it's all for show, yeah. absolutely. I had pointed, I'd pointed out before to that, that 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 one passage, that one verse in there that talks about those who imagine godliness is a way to material gain, that that is like that is a real indictment against the spiritual, mm-hmm. against the sorry, against the prosperity gospel. Mm. Um, that and the issue is is that even today, it's not just leaders who think that um, leaders preach it, but people buy into it, especially mm-hmm. here in America. And today, it's turned from um, it's not even necessarily uh, material, but I, if if I can be fulfilled, if I can feel like I'm, if I, my feelings, if I can feel good, then God's blessing me. And that's not, material gain does not equal godliness, and godliness does not equal material gain. Mm. Just because I feel good about my station mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I'm godly. You know, it brings up an interesting thought, too, that uh, the world has always been threatened by Christians, has always been threatened by the church. Early on, the world was threatened by the church because all of a sudden, we're so different from the world, and we have a different message, a different way to salvation through the person of Jesus Christ, and that threatened the world, the known world. It threatened the Roman Empire. It threatened the Pharisees. It threatened the religious establishment because this is all of a sudden different. There's a different understanding of godliness and of how to have a relationship with God. And so the world was threatened by that, so the world persecuted Christians for that. But now the world is threatened because we're like them. We have taught that we're really like the world. We have spent a century teaching that really we're just like you. We have all the things you have plus Jesus. Mm. We have wealth and we seek it. We have health and we seek it. We have all these material blessings, and we aim for those, and we give in to our indulgences, and we give in to our impulses. Just like the world, we can have everything the world has and Jesus. And what's interesting is that also threatens the world because they don't want Christians to be like them. They need us to be different so they can persecute us. So now they persecute us because we're trying to be like them. They don't like that either. The world's always going to hate Christians, Mm -hmm. whether you seek out material gain through you know, using Jesus as a way to material gain, or you stand up against what the world teaches and say, no, Jesus is the only way. 
The world's always going to hate us. The difference is, are we godly or not? Mm -hmm. The difference is, where do we see our gain for following Christ? Right, and we can't—I think that's the trap is— when you start to look more and more like the world, I'm saying in, in a bad way, but it changes the measuring stick that you have, that you hold up to to say, this is how I can tell I'm successful in what I'm doing for God versus this is what I want to look like to everybody else and and how I, I get into that. Do we do we sing the refrain, take the world but give me Jesus? We, we don't really sing that. I mean, I know we don't sing that song, but I'm saying in our hearts. <laughs> like, what's the question? Yeah. Right. We, we, don't, we don't think that way. Oh, yeah. Or we don't think that... God is more precious than silver and gold because mm-hmm. we know that those are precious. Right. And we like those things. Well, that's, you know, you get into that with a ton of songs. You look at oceans and it's like, well, take me where I'm uncomfortable. But I say that from my pew in an air-conditioned building <laughs> where I can put a check in the offering plate and feel good about myself. So that's uncomfortable. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's how uncomfortable do you want to be compared to everybody else. And then, in, you know, in verse 10, I don't know how much you touch the, the most – one of the, one of the most um, quoted, misquoted Bible verses. Mm-hmm. Um, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money is all evil. You know, the mm-hmm. money is the root of all evil. But it's the love. It's the pursuit of those things that. And I've, I've got a couple of students that I'm reading a book with right now um, called "Gods at War." It's this idea that that we have all these lower G gods warring for our attention and the things that we want to put on this stool and. Um, I taught on this at, at a breakout at Super Summer, this idea that there are things in our lives that fight for our attention to be the number one thing. And it's the moment those replace God on this throne that we have built for God. That's when they become idols. Even good things can, can become idols at the drop of a hat because those we pursue those things over God in our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to kind of preview a little bit, I don't have... You know, I, I'm not anywhere close to being done with this week's message, but just to preview it a little bit, you know, one of the issues that we're going to see in uh, the coming verses, verses 17 through 19, is that that root, that love of money, uh, develops in us a tight fist with possessions, a mm. tight fist with our resources. And the tighter we grip, the resources that God has given us, the tighter we grip and the, the more storehouses we build for our own wealth and our own possessions, the more of those we have, the more it corrupts us, the mm-hmm. more it uh, uh, builds a divide between us and godliness. And what we really find in Scripture is that those who are the most content, those who are the most godly, those who see the most gain in their spiritual life are the ones that have a very, very loose grip on their possessions. Mm. And uh, I quoted it several months ago, probably maybe even last year, that I heard a man say that the Lord will let a lot of money pass through your hand as long as you don't grip a lot of it, mm-hmm. as long as you keep your hand open mm. and let it pass through. And uh, we're, as Christians, we've become really, really bad and, and really more and more like the world with how we treat money. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we don't look much different than the world when it comes to our possessions and our retirement and our investments and our safety, uh, you know, our savings accounts. And I'm as guilty as the next person. I don't like to let a lot of money pass through my hand. I, I like I like to have a tight grip on my possessions. Well, that's something I we talked about in our step study, matter of fact, that God's definition of comfortable and my definition of comfortable are two different things. And I've got to come to terms with that, that in my mind, comfortably being even financially is different than what God views as what I should be comfortable in my finances. And 
giving him full control of, of, of some of that and what that looks like. And so at some someday I hope in my life I will I will fully understand that God's economy is different than my economy. Yes. <laughs> and the world's uh, his economy uh <laughs> we're not humble enough to understand how powerful God's economy is when we just let loose. Mm. And let him work. Mm-hmm. And so we had that was Nick's sermon from two weeks ago, and this last week Garrett was able to preach and 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 preached on um, the charges of the man of God and and what what the man of God is supposed to do, how he's supposed to interact. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that, Garrett? Yeah. yeah so I went back and listened to. I, I told them before. I, it's the worst, isn't it? I've been on. Al- no, I didn't listen to myself. Oh, okay. I listened to <laughs> yeah, Alistair Begg. Yeah. I, I thought, man, well, I'm. Yeah, it's a good thing I didn't listen to him beforehand because I probably would have stole his message because it was really good. <laughs> but he referenced the passage that you were in versus the passage that I was in, and he said the previous passage can, is dealing with the men of gold, mm-hmm. and the and the passage um, that I was in deals with the man of God. And he, there's this distinction between those who hearts are given solely to money and things and possessions and, and Timothy whose uh, heart is given to, to God and to, the, and to the church. So um, it was convicting for me. It was a, that was a hard. And when you first gave it to me, I was like, eh. You know, it's, sometimes there's those passages I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to be able to get out of this, if I can get a full sermon out of this. But um, it was good. Um, I enjoyed studying it. Um, difficult charge to... Um, to this distinction, and I, I made that in the sermon that though this is applicable to the church, it is it's dealing specifically with the man of God, which is a specific title. Um, uh, pastors and elders who are called to lead the church, and the charge of just um, over-the-top integrity that they're called to um, a higher standard because they're they're the example to the to the flock, which is which is hard. It's hard. Mm. I think it's into that. Hopefully, do as I do and do as I say versus do as I say, not as I do, especially mm-hmm. as a leader, that we would <clears throat> model that for our churches to see us as for those of us who have been called into ministry and for those elders who have been called to lead the church, that they would do those things. And you gave five good points um, that the, the man of God is to flee, to flee mm-hmm. from those things, to pursue the things uh, that God has called us to pursue, to be more like him, um, to fight the good fight, to hold on to eternal life and to keep the command. Um, and those those five things laid out pretty easily for for the man of God to follow. One of the things I, I didn't hit on as much as I I kind of wanted to, but it just didn't happen. But the the fight the good fight portion of it, um, you know, that's that's an area I think that the church doesn't do very well. Um, and I'm getting blank stares from both of you, so you're going, oh man, I'm stepping into it. No, but I'm, no, I'm we listening. don't I'm, we don't uh, we're just tired. <laughs> we we don't fight well because we're comfortable. Because we're, we we do I think grip things, um, and that was present to me even in. You know, I'm taking this class on global missions, and I was telling you guys that I, one of my assignments was that I had to share the gospel to th- with three people, and uh, it's hard because you have to be intentional, um, and you have to you have to find the time and and uh, I, I heard a pastor say you know there's there's a lot of you in this in this congregation right now who you're dead weight to the to the church because you have sin that you haven't dealt with that you don't want exposed mm. you're scared that somebody's going to find out about it so you keep it hidden and you don't deal with it you're not uh, you're not in the fight 
and not just are you not in the fight, you're a weight to the rest of everybody else because you're you're spiritually um, you're hindering where the church can go. And so, what would it look like if the if the men of God took it serious to be in a fight? And what would it look like if um, if the flock joined in in that fight and, and got serious about it? And and I think um, I think we wouldn't have as I've seen you know. 90-year-old people who have never heard the gospel but lived in a town with 10 or 12 churches. I mean, that, it's, that's, that's crazy to me that somebody could live 90 years and have no concept of personal sin, no concept of why Jesus. She'd heard bits and pieces but never had the, the gospel presented to her. And that is an indication that, at least in that small town, that 10 churches did not do their job. Mm. I have a, uh, I've, I have something I want to throw out here, and uh, Josh may push pause after I after I uh, <laughs> and say, okay, we're not we're not doing do that. Some, some editing. <laughs> uh, but I, I give I give anybody who's listening, and you two guys, full permission. If this if this doesn't sit well with people, um, you can totally blame me. This is this will be all on me. Okay, but you do, have me nervous. Do you guys think? In light of particularly how the Apostle Paul is addressing Timothy and these issues that come up, you know, the men of gold versus the men of God, the man of gold versus the man of God, the false teaching that exists, and we all know there's so much false teaching in our Christian churches today, the state of the church, um, the state of the men who lead churches, do you think the average pew-sitting I'll even say the average pew-sitting Christian. Um, do you think they have the spiritual capacity to tell the difference in a guy who's genuinely m- met the qualifications of a leader versus a guy who is a false leader and they just don't know it? Do you think the average Christian today sees that in leaders of the church. And to follow up that, think about that, are they willing to do anything about it Mm. when they notice this guy is all about himself? If that's all they've known and they've grown up in that that congregation or they've grown up in that leadership style, I don't know if they'd be able to tell the difference if that's all they've known. I think biblically they should be able, but if that's who's filling their bucket— is somebody who's bringing a false doctrine or a, a false belief, and that's all they know. That's kind of all they know. And I think scripturally there's enough there to get to know the difference. But I will tell you, I don't think the average pew-sitting Christian reads their Bible very often. I don't. I think there are those that, that spend their time with God daily, but I think there's some. They open it on Sunday, and it sits on their dresser at home, and they pick it back up on Sunday and come to church with it. So would they be able to tell the difference between the two? I, I don't know. Um, and if they couldn't tell the difference, then I definitely think that they they would probably, if they realized there was something going on, the most common thing to do in churches now is just to leave, mm. is just to be upset and leave and yeah. let, let that church deal with the problems is we're going to we're going to go somewhere else where we're we're satisfied with with what that is. So I think that would be a hard question. I, I think that if that's all they've known, then they probably wouldn't know a difference because that's all they've known. Yeah, but I, I, I could be in the wrong there. I, th- I think no. And I and I f- have 
I found myself being a little bit more, and this this reference may escape some people, but Paul Washer like. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I just went back and listened to his sermon that he preached to the uh, in the like youth two, group. Yeah, in two, mm-hmm. like two thousand three. Yeah, famous youth group message. The famous youth group message yeah. where he, I mean, he, I, it was. I need you to explain who Paul Washer is. I have no idea. Paul Washer is a. Is he Presbyterian? Bible Church, isn't he? Bible Church. I'm pretty sure he's okay. Bible Church um, yeah. or Missionary Alliance. I can't remember. Christian Missionary Alliance. Yeah, I um, don't. It, it's he's not Baptist. Um, he's a, he's a solid biblical teacher. Yeah, he um, falls into the camp of the John MacArthur's yeah. and the Steve Lawsons. Just and, not as okay. maybe probably yeah. not as well known. Yeah, um, depending on where you live. Yeah, yeah, depending on where you live. But he he preached a, a hard sermon. You need to listen to it. He's a preaching missionary. Is what he yes. is. He goes on. Heart he has cry is it heart called cry. heart yeah. cry mission? He, he goes on preaching. I've heard of that. Yeah. They okay. they he runs heart cry. Yeah. It is his mission group. Um, but he he was very he it was very hard. And he said I I watched um, essentially um, an emotional response and a lack of gospel response and and he he preached a very hard sermon and said you know I'm talking to you. they started clapping at one point and he said. I'm not sure why you're clapping because I'm, I'm talking, about, talking you. about you mm-hmm. and calling people out in this cultural Christianity. And I, I have found um, in my work as, as a hospice chaplain, that's been one of the most discouraging things that I've found is cultural Christian, mm-hmm. is people who claim but have no doctrinal depth, have no fruit in their life, um, who claim to love God and, and love Jesus and haven't been to church in 20 years. And um, I just think, I can think over the past two years, the amount of people that I've said, I've heard people say that things that are clearly in Scripture say that they're not in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't know anything about God's Word, how could you discern between right and wrong? And it's it's... It is an individual's fault that you haven't gone deeper, but it is also institutionally the church's fault because we have went to does it feel good does it does it make you feel right um, more than being serious and so you know your issue that you when you came here and you said the number one issue in the church is biblical illiteracy mm-hmm. and I, I agree with that and if we're biblically illiterate. How can you discern anything? Mm. Because all you're going then all you're going off is either worldly knowledge, or how do I feel about this situation? Or cultural Christianity. Or yeah. cultural yeah. Christianity. Well, you and can so, ask um, almost any student who comes and sits in my office who's who's struggling with something. One of the very first questions <laughs> I ask is, "Are you reading your Bible?" Mm-hmm. And ninety percent of the time, the answer is no. And I'm like, "Well, fix that. There's your problem." That yeah. that these students want to hear from God, but they're not willing to take the time and spend time to become biblically illiterate. Become biblically literate. To understand these things that they they desire and crave so much because yeah. they see others who have it. I, I went on a visit the other day and I, I told you guys about this. It was at a facility and they played a sermon and I'll just name the name from Joel Olstein. And before he started the sermon, they said some sort of pledge together and I had never heard. Have you heard this? Yeah, the, but it, Joel Olstein has your, everybody in his church hold, hold your Bible, Bible up, up and we're going to hear from God. Yeah. We're going to read His scripture. Never blah, blah, blah. At it again. And the whole twenty minutes there was not a single piece of scripture used. And so we have this tainted, we pretend, we put a facade up, we hold the Bible, 
So as if we're speaking with the authority of the Bible, but we don't even read the Bible. And so, yeah, I would say the state of the church is, is not horrible. There's a lot of good things. But I think yeah. that the average church member, um, I don't know that the— I wonder if the average church member could, could rightly give a gospel presenta- presentation. Or if they're so out of practice because they haven't done it. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, um, I'm going to start this. Uh, there are some of the most wonderful, yeah. godly people here at our church yeah. that I just absolutely love, and am th- I thank the Lord for so many faithful Jesus-loving people at this church. But I spent 17 years in ministry not as a pastor, not as a head lead pastor. And so I observed these things. You know, I, I knew that they exist. I knew that there were people who would complain to the pastor about this or that and typically didn't have any biblical foundation for what they were complaining about. Um, I, I watched that. When I made the statement, I hadn't been here but a few weeks. When I made the statement from the pulpit that I believed that the number one issue in our churches today was biblical illiteracy, I had people push back on me. Like, you can't say stuff like that. This is a Bible church. We believe in the Bible. And I said, I'm not saying it's not a Bible church, but we were a biblically illiterate people. And for the next five years, I had people who would tell me, um, that's not what Christians believe, or that's not what we how we do it, or that's not... You know, what the Bible says, or this is what the Bible says, and over and over and over again, even sometimes from people who are leaders, and ordained leaders even, I'm going, that there is nowhere in Scripture that says what you're saying. Uh, and nowhere in church, church past that that's what the church believed. Yeah, and it's incredibly frustrating. As a pastor— it's incredibly frustrating. It's not frustrating to preach to people, and your prayer is that every time you preach, you hope that people get closer to God's Word and closer to God. I do not expect everybody who comes to church, including myself, to have a full knowledge of the Word. It, it, that is not alarming or off-putting. What's alarming and off-putting is when people stand and take a deep breath and can tell you that you're wrong when they have no biblical foundation for it. That's what's off-putting. That's what's wrong with the American church, is all the people in our evangelical, conservative, Bible Belt churches that want to stand, tighten their belts, puff up their chest, and tell you this is the way a church ought to be run, this is what you ought to be saying, this is the way we've always done it, and there's zero biblical foundation for it. That's off-putting. What's actually encouraging is when somebody comes to you after a message and says, I had never heard that before. I didn't know what to believe on that, and that's caused me to think. That is, you know, those people come with a different perspective. They come uh, to be learners. I was sharing with uh, the group last week that I was preaching to that I love to listen to sermons because I'm, I'm a learner, and I don't ever want to stop learning. I don't ever stop listening to the word preached. And after uh, one of my messages, a young lady comes up and she goes, I have a recommendation for you, which is always a scary thing. (laughs) 
I have a recommendation for you. And she said, uh, I can't remember the name of the church that she was from, but she gave me the name of a podcast and the name of a pastor of this church. And she said, you should check it out. I really think that you would like his messages. And I can, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll pick that up and listen to him. Maybe I won't. But here's what I thought about that. She thought, if you're, if you're a learner, I'm a learner. Check out this guy. I've learned a lot from this guy. I can appreciate a student coming to me and saying that. I, I really can because that tells me she's paying attention to what's going on in her church. She loves her pastor. And she was recommending her pastor. She was recommending right. her pastor. Mm-hmm. I was really encouraged by that. And uh, I, I just, we, we can't stop learning. And I'm afraid that, uh, especially in these difficult times our churches are going through, where I was just reading a report on Fox News today, these new reports coming out of how many churches are probably going to close their door in 2021 and 2022 because people have fled the church, especially during COVID. Um, I just worry that we've still got too many people in leadership and churches, lay leaders and whatnot, that have got an idea of what church is supposed to be, but there's no biblical foundation for it. Well, I think to wrap a bow on that, to bring that back to 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Yeah. It's learning to be content in those things and, and trusting God through that. And that doesn't mean laziness and, and sitting back and letting it happen, but being content in, in growing in this relationship with God and allowing him to, to lead from there. And men of God, do your job. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Take your holiness seriously. Yeah. Obey God's commands. Fight the fight. Yeah. Um, so let's jump in real quick to what's happening in the next few weeks um, to kind of transition from what's happening last week to what's happening next week. Um, we are almost done with First Timothy six. We kind of got a little preview there from mm-hmm. Pastor Nick about the first the next two weeks probably depending two on messages how, how the Lord oh, leads yeah, him. Two, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've said that the last before. Book we were in. Yeah. That's we were like, like what six years. Nick Nick's count on <laughs> sermons. <laughs> it's like it's like basketball time when there's like twenty seconds left. And right. It really means like eight minutes left because of all the time. <laughs> yeah. And so for Nick to be like, oh, it's two sermons left. Yeah. We'll <laughs> all right. Moving on. Come on. <laughs> so, so we've got we've got that wrapping up. We've got a new anthem coming yep. out. Um, City of Light. You know, talk a little about that. Ooh, Shepherd. You got it right. City of Light, I'm learning, yes. Yep, it is. uh, I I had my wife listen to it, and then I said, it's it's a lot like Psalm 23, and she was like, no, it is Psalm 23, essentially. (laughs) So um, good. Wanted to. um, We sing songs that are scripture-based here at First Baptist Seminole? Yes. That's cool. Every week (laughs) With, with consistency. I love that. So one of the reasons All that I wanted to do this do one, that. and and this one, uh, I give a shout out to Jordan. This was one that he suggested to me, and I and it was it fit well. I wanted us to do a um, a song of lament um, or a song that deals with uh, difficult times. Um, Psalms, mm. uh, are the Psalms. I think the number is thirty percent of the Psalms are songs of lament. Um, and I went to Let a. Let me check real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it won't be real quick. But I, I had been to a conference. Uh, Nick and I went to a conference several years ago and uh, went to a uh, breakout session where they dealt with that and said, in your church at any time, someone is either coming out of difficult times, going into difficult times, or they're currently in difficult times. And so it is. Uh, we believe that Colossians 3.16 tells us that we're to teach each other through uh, singing. 
And so we have to teach ourselves and others how to properly respond in difficult times. And so that may mean that the church needs to uh, come, uh, come alongside someone who's going through very difficult times um, or when you're in it just to know how to properly, how to properly uh, respond to those difficult times when crying out to God. So, um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a, a good, yeah. I heard it for the first time today, loading it to our Spotify playlist. So I think it'll be a, a good song for us. Um, and um, we've got the preview of that. And then to kind of jump into the big three to kind of start wrapping up, um, to transition here into the big three, the three things that we kind of want to leave our church with. Um, I'll go first. The, my big three is to, to ask the church and those listening to this podcast, start praying for Falls Creek. July 19th through 20, 24th, we hit 61 students. So right now with students, sponsors, and cooks, I'm probably about 85 people. And then we've got an extra 20 people coming from Asher that'll be with us. We're a little over 100 people in our cabin right now. So pumped, so excited, switching gears from super summer to get ready for Falls Creek. So to ask um, the church and listeners to begin praying, we started praying for Falls Creek back in April when we started talking about Falls Creek and praying that God would just do big things through our student ministry as a result of, of God working the way he does at Falls Creek. So to ask you guys to be praying for that. So that's my big one of the three. So what do you guys have? I have something you're going to hear from me a lot throughout the month of July is I'm going to, until I'm blue in the face, be pleading with our congregation to invite people to church. Um, we have almost 100% come out of this pandemic, uh, in, at least in Oklahoma, and uh, just want to seize the opportunity to be inviting people to church. The Lord has blessed us with new people over the last several months, new friends. I'm encouraged by that. I'm thankful for that. But I know there's a whole host of people who are probably ready to get back into fellowship or to get into fellowship for the very first time and check out a church. And so you're going to hear a lot from me throughout the month of July. Who's somebody you want to invite to church and invite them to church? Mm, so That's good. I switched mine at the last minute, but um, I'm, I'm going to go along the theme of our, um, of our anthem for this month, and I'm going to say that the church, uh, the Scripture tells us that people will know a Christian by their love, um, by the way that we treat each other and so I'm, I'm my charge to the church is um, look around you and find somebody that's hurting in the church and love them well um, walk through them with difficult in difficult times it's it will be uncomfortable um, it won't be easy but to to make a concerted effort to care for each other well mm-hmm. this this month or no not just this month from this day forward yeah care well for each other, um, it, it shouldn't be the outside world caring for us better than we care for each other. Mm, that's love, good. Love well. Yeah, I, a matter of fact, I, I kid you not, that was something I was going to do for my big three is that idea that a word of kindness and encouragement goes a long way. And spending time last week with a bunch of the other youth pastors, it was really encouraging as, as, a, as a kind word or encouragement could, could change your day. And so I was going to say that exact, pretty much the exact same thing. So I'm glad you changed Great last minute to think that. Alike. That's right. 
All right, that has been the Words Matter podcast here at First Baptist Church Seminole. Just a reminder, we gather every Sunday morning at 9.30 for Sunday morning small groups. We have a class for you, for your children, for your grandparents, for anybody. Come spend the day with us on Sunday, and then we we gather to worship through the Word at 10.45 in our sanctuary. We'd love for you to join us. We'll save you a seat. And then on Sunday nights at 5.30, we have Celebrate Recovery Service. We have a meal that starts at 4.45, a service at 5.30, and open share groups at 6.30. And then we have a 7th through 12th grader, we meet on Wednesday nights on top of Sunday morning small groups starting at 6 o'clock. We'd love for them to be a part of what we've got going on here at our church. We want to thank you guys for listening and always don't forget, words matter. Words matter. Words matter. This has been the Words Matter podcast, a podcast of FBC Seminole. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.